All right, it's been advertised by Joe himself that I'm going to be able to give you a tour of Joe's hometown. How many of you know what the name of the town was? Well, when I heard a Missourian say it, I thought he was saying Hog Point. But in actually, it's Hawk Point. Hawk Point, Missouri. I was there along with Pastor Cord. Pastor Greg, we went out last week just to, to be with Pastor Joe and a funeral of his father. And we, Joe took us to a restaurant, uh, uh, just filled us up with food, almost made us late for our plane. But I told Greg, we've got to go through the hometown and take pictures. Okay? All right, let's look at those pictures. Hawk Point. Population 669. Now, I did find out that they have not deducted Joe from that statistic, okay? Uh, when you go past that, that sign, you come to another big welcome sign to Hawk Point. I want you to know where you are. From there, you travel in to a car wash. What's a town without a car wash, right? And across from there is a, a church. Uh, we then go to an emporium. This settles, you know, emporium settles a little dab of this and a little dab of another. Next, you'll go by this, the city hall. City hall. Next, whoop, you go out of the city. <laughs> now, do, Joe did tell me there's one other church and a bar somewhere. But we drove slowly through Main Street and were able to get these pictures. So if you ever are in Hawk Point, Missouri, know that that is the town that produced for us Pastor Joe. All right? All right. Can I vent just a minute before we go to the message? Good. You know, in America... Men and women died to give us freedom, certain freedoms. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, states those things very plainly. But I'm finding in this day and time, it's, it's an opportunity for fools to open their mouth. And I hope this stuff did not spoil your 4th of July. We have celebrities, sports figures, disowning Kim Kardashian announced that she is closing down the 4th of July. If she had been in Tavares, Florida yes, last night and yesterday, she would have seen a parade and the fireworks and the streets filled with people. I don't want us to listen to the garbage. You know, you can tell a lot of people about what happens when they open the mouth. The Bible says, out of the depths of the heart, <laughs> the mouth speaks. And, and I'll admit, this is a troubled country right now because anywhere that is founded on the principles of a moral law that's posted in our courthouses all over the land and even in Congress itself, you're going to have the attacks of Satan. And, and he's going at it full force. We talked in prayer this morning about the lawless one is at full speed ahead in what he's doing in this world. 
But we cannot be disheartened because it is a great, great opportunity. Because the darker the dark, the lighter the light. Have you ever been in a service in building this size or larger? And they shut off all the lights. So you can't see your hand in front of you. And one by one, people begin to light a candle. You see, we have this opportunity to pierce the darkness with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Walter Baggerman said this, and I'm going to give you this quote. The prophetic task of the church, the task of the church are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. We are to grieve in a society that practices denial and we're to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Never forget that. This is our church's greatest hour. I have a prayer request. I'm glad to be among people that know who Dottie Rambo is. <laughs> Say that to a young person and they think they're a hippie or, uh, you know. But I grew up like you with a guy named Steve Jobs. How many of you have computers? Apple. Okay. Steve Jobs. We had Johnny Cash. And we had Bob Hope. We're living now when there are no jobs. <laughs> No cash and no hope. Here's my prayer request. Let's pray for Kevin Bacon. I don't know about you, but I'm going to keep that boy on my prayer list. All right. I found it amazing that after all that went on this weekend, today's message is about the Ten Commandments. And there are a lot of views about the Ten Commandments. I can remember years ago, an Alabama judge, Judge Roy Stone, uh, went through tremendous persecution uh, because he had outside of the courthouse just a stone replica of the Ten Commandments. I find it amazing that they have not pulled them out of our court system. That was fought but when they really looked at the foundation of our, co- our country, it was founded on a moral code. Now, I've run across people who say there was no moral code before the Ten Commandments. And I thought about that thought, and I thought, hmm, well, let's see. That would mean that God created man and woman. He gave them free will. He walked in the garden with them. He did give them one command, not a suggestion. But basically, he would sit his generation, Adam and Eve, and all of their prodigy, loose in an evil world without a moral compass. You see, I believe fully when it says we are created in the image of God. That includes the installation of a moral compass. The moral law of the God that we are created by. And that, my friends, had not stopped. You see, there's further evidence because at the moment of their disobedience, the moment, it said their eyes were open and they were ashamed. Ashamed of what? 
ashamed of sin. Now, the Indians have a saying that every person's conscience is like a wheel. And the more that you disobey the right way, the conscious, the chips of that propeller are chipped off. And if you proceed down that road, you'll come to the point that you have just an object in the middle and no fan motor. And your conscience is turned loose. I think that's what we're seeing now. Let me read from you from Genesis. So... When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and ate and she gave some of it to her husband who was with her. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they were afraid and then they began to go into the sewing business. They tried to cover their sins with fig leaves. God walking in the... The garden that cool of the evening said, where are you, Adam? Not, I don't know where you are, but Adam, do you know where you are? And Adam was hiding because of that sin that was revealed when he went against the moral law of God. God just said, did you eat of that fruit? Well, this apostle John writing in 1 John 2.16, listen to these words as they parallel what I just read. For all in the world that is in the world is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. Let me reread that. When she saw it was a delight to the eyes, that it was made, that it made one wise, and that it was good to eat, the pride said, I have to have it. I want us to never forget that the law was not made in order for us to make replicas out of it and worship the placement of that replica. You see, the law of God was already written in the hearts of man. And in our sinful condition, due to the first sin of Adam and Eve, we, mankind, have lived with a propensity to disobey God and do what is right in our eyes. What we like, what we want, and what we feel. Now, I know many times... People keep a list of the big bad sins and the list of the little sins. White lies are on that list. Things like cheating on your IRS, talking gossip, uh, causing up evil by spreading tales, walking around with the positive of Christ in you and letting negativism spew from your mouth. You see, God took the DNA of man and on the mountain that we're going to read about this morning, transferred the DNA of man into stone that man could readily see. In Exodus chapter 20, we find these words. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. That is Yahweh. I am creator. 
I am God Almighty. I am God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. This is a reminder that it was written, these laws, God wanted Moses to, uh, uh, to relate to the people. They had just left the land that was full of ungodliness. And now he announced in their freedom, I am the Lord your God. I am the one that brought you out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. <clears throat> or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the sky, water below the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them, for I am again the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Pause there. This is not God saying that regardless of what the third and fourth generation is about, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put that iniquity on them. God is very plainly saying that sin is generational if the people that begin that generation and live in that generation are a godless people. If you do not train children, at a very young age, that there is one true God, that there is a Jesus that saves, that there is a hope in the world. If you're not training up that child to become a young person and then marry and beget children, then down through the fourth generation, you and beyond, you're going to find a generation of sin. Greg told me this as we were traveling. It's the story of a, uh, of a man that he went to visit that raised snakes. For whatever reason. But he raised them. And he also raised mice. Or meeses or whatever they are. To feed the snakes. And Greg was there and watched him. And they put a mice in the cage with a snake. The old snake was looking. And that mice didn't, didn't run anywhere. He didn't scream. He didn't holler. He just laid there. And eventually the old snake went over there and gobbled him up. So Greg, full of questions, asked the question. How do you get that mice not to run from the snake? And he said, it's bred out of them. By the third or fourth generation, they have bred mice who have no fear of snakes. And so they sit there and they're devoured. Man, what a perfect example of sitting on our hands, not proclaiming by life and by mouth the hope that we have in, in Jesus Christ. And we, we develop the third and fourth generation we're living in that has no fear of God. And our conscience, as the Bible says, has been seared. Let's go. <clears throat> But showing the steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord, your God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servants. 
excuse me, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, and the sea, and all that was in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is a command with a definite promise written behind it. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witnesses against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These laws, I had Mike make up a screen, come out like this. Let's look at the first four. Polytheism, that is having more than one God. Idols, swearing, and the Sabbath. This particularly is talking about, they used to say, as God lives, I swear I will do this and this. That's taking the name of God in vain. Cursing God using his name is certainly. But these four actually point to back to God. These are the things that we are to not do. And they relate to our relationship with God. Then he adds for man. Let's go with the rest of them. Obedience to parents, murder, adultery, theft, false witnesses, and coveting. Those are how we are to relate to mankind. Jesus, when asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? The Pharisees thought they could really get him on this. And Jesus said, you are to love the Lord God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your being. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he added, all of the law and the prophet is added up. And these two commandments. And if you think about what he's saying, if you love the Lord God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your being. If you wake up in the morning and pray, oh God, today, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If you are consistently seeking first in your life as you seek for things. Number one, the reign and rule of Christ in your life. And praying that what you do, what you say, what you think brings honor glory to God himself with those verses, with that commitment, with that seeking in your life, you can go on your day of playing golf, going to work, or sitting in a lazy boy watching Ruku. It doesn't matter because you have framed your life in such a way that you want to honor God, the one true God. So the question is, was man free to do what he wanted before the written law? The answer, of course, is no. It was written within us. Some have said there is an emptiness that only God himself can, can fill within our life. And if you want really to understand the cravings of people in life, 
It comes down to trying to fill something in their life that they don't have. And we constantly chase after things that break, tear up, and pass away. Nothing lasts. But when we fill that with God himself, we're told that if any person is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is past. All things become new. And that newness is the righteousness and holiness of God. It's kind of like this. We are living in the flesh, but we don't have to live to the flesh. Now, God takes our sin from us and imputes his righteousness and his holiness. Never believe that we can work hard, study hard, and come up with a righteousness of our own. You have, if you want a picture of righteousness of your own, read the New Testament about a group of people called the Pharisees. It was all outward and God said inside, you're like an empty grave. You whitewash the outside to make it look good. But inside is nothing but deadness. I turned to Apostle Paul for some passages. Romans chapter 2. <clears throat> for all of sin without the law will also perish without the law. Very simply this. At that time there were Jews and then there was everybody else. Gentiles, you could say they were marauders or whatever you want to put on Jews and Gentiles. And so the Gentiles are the one who live not under the law, but that's the judgment that they're going to be standing under. Okay? Next. All those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. You see, this is important, guys. Jesus said that the, the measurement of judgment that you give is the measurement of judgment that you get back. And you can deny the existence of a moral law. But you will be judged by that law as we stand before Almighty God. Okay? For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God... But the doers of the law who will be justified. Justified is a great, great word. In a minute, we're going to read another passage of Scripture that talks about an opportunity to sin. An opportunity to sin is the complete opposite of those who are justified. It's already said you are you who do the word, but yet James pointed out... Faith without works is dead. It's a corpus. It's nothing. We'll be judged. For when the Gentiles, the other group, remember Jews and Gentiles, who the Gentiles who do not have the law, but by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves. Have you ever been around someone who did not profess Christ at all? Didn't go to church? They weren't mean. They just didn't, they just didn't profess him. But when you look at his, their life, they were very honest in their communication. They were very giving in the things that they had. They, they kept the moral law. And it makes you want to scratch your head. But you see, there is a law written in the heart of mankind as we are created. And the Gentiles just did, even without the law, 
that which they knew was right or wrong. They did what the law requires, okay? Even though they did not have the law, all right? They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts and while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts often accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of man by Christ Jesus. Were their thoughts confused and accused? Can you agree with that? That when in your life you know the truth and you react opposite of the truth, that there is no peace within your heart. There's a constant looking over your shoulder. There's a constant fear of death because we realize we're going to stand before God. And yet we allow that sin to stack and stack and stack because we refuse to humble ourselves before God and ask him, God have mercy on me. First John, first chapter, says two, three really thrilling things. Two, one said, if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. Pretty blunt. Verse 10 says, if, if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. Bam. Verse, verse 9 is our, our safety net. If you sin, if you confess your sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What does Paul say in Romans 7? What shall we say? That the law is sin? And by no means. This is a very, in the Greek, it's like, what? Are you crazy? That's the Greek for it. By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law... I would not have known that law was sin. For I would not known what is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity. See, remember I said this, there's a, this seizing of an opportunity. Satan knows the law and he works the law. How does he work the law? Somebody gets a brand new boat. And you got a little six-foot canoe, all of a sudden your heart, you just crave, mm, man, I want that. You begin to covet. You begin to lie that you're not coveting. And so Satan, working in the law, each one of these places, gives you an opportunity to sin. It produced in me all kinds of covetousness. See, it just kind of... He macerates that law as it grows within us. For, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. If there was no law, there would be no sin. That's why from creation, there has been sin because, again, within the creation that God created, there was a moral compass that he placed there. That his gospel would lead us and strengthen us to keep it.
I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. That is the realization. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now that's not just for the Apostle Paul. If you sit here this morning in Christ, you have died because the same thing happened. When you became aware through the calling of God of the sin that is in you and that his moral law is to lead us in life, you literally died in Christ in the forgiveness of our sins. Resurrected us to walk in a new life. Just as Christ came out and ascended into heaven with a new body, we came out with a new life. One day we're going to join him with a new body. Or did it say, you shall not make yourself a graved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above? The very commandment that promised life proved to be death. Again, Satan through Eve said, it looks good. It tastes good. That's what I need. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. For sin, seizing an opportunity again through the commandment, deceive me and through it kill me. So the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Then Paul follows up with a tremendous question in the 8th chapter of Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Expound on that. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit of God to put us back on the right path of life. Conviction is those words or those people who condemn your belief, who say there is no God, who say that they're, whatever they want to do is right. You are doing wrong. They laugh at you when you go to church, when you pray, when you do the things that God leads you to do. That is condemnation. Listen, don't ever confuse condemnation from conviction. If it is a condemning spirit, it's from Satan. Let's, let's move on. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's no such thing as freedom in this world apart from God. A freedom to live through the roughest, worst times in life. A freedom that allows you to have peace in the middle of any storm in life because of one thing, not how strong you are. The, tele, the, the television charlatans and heretics will tell you, if you have enough faith. Jesus came and wiped that out before they ever said it. Said if you got the faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can move mountains. But if God doesn't move that mountain, he gives you legs to climb that mountain. You see, freedom to have peace in this world is the ability to go through life. Listen, if you got rose-colored glasses, get rid of them. This world is a stinking, ugly, nasty place. 
But it's where we travel through. It's our wilderness. And we are to live faithfully. And we are to bring as many people as we can through the gospel of Jesus, through this witness, because one day God is going to deliver us. And we will be in heaven forevermore. We'll be united with every saint of God that's gone before. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more heartache. There'll be nothing but joy in the presence of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Are you struggling trying to live under the law? I know some of you are. You're afraid that you'll be condemned. And when you're condemned, you get afraid and you run. Are you united in Christ? You see, with the assignment that God gives us, and that is to live life to the full, to tell the truth about what has happened to us, and to let people know it's available for all people. That's our job. That's our job. George did it last Wednesday when he, he cooked up pork chops and corn and macaroni and cheese. And we went to a place we didn't know hardly anybody. And because they're just getting back in the survey, we only met a couple of people. But that whole house, 45 people, they had food. And the message was, this is because we love Jesus and we love you. And we want you to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we come to you this morning, thank you for writing on our hearts the truth. And God, if there's ever been a time that we are called to put away the negativity that has no place in the mouth of the life of a Christian, put away the fear which has no place in the life and the mind, the mouth and the heart of a Christian, and walk united with Christ, knowing that where you go, we go. And where we go, you go. And Lord, the peace that surpasses understanding will walk us through the valley, even the valley of the shadow of death, with a hope. Because you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.